This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. <laughs> All right. So today we are talking about Fucked at 40 by Tova Lee. And this book came out in 2020. I found Tova on TikTok and started talking to her on TikTok and then on Instagram And I was on her podcast with her and her husband. And then she came on my podcast. And then I realized that she had this book. And I was like, wow, this book would be perfect for the book club just because of what it's about. Um, And so, yeah, it was December's book. And a little snippet that I just wanted to read from the back is, I think it's a part of a review or maybe it's just the description, but it says fucked at 40 is a funny, raw and empowering midlife crisis. Tova Lee takes the reader along her journey of rediscovering her identity after motherhood, encouraging women to break free from society's expectations. Um, so that's kind of what it is about. Um, so what are your overall thoughts about the book? Jen, I made some notes, so we'll go over those as well. And then I also, I thought we would read, um, I have a part of a comment on Facebook highlighted that I will talk about too. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. So I I think it's funny when you were just reading that description where it talks about her journey of rediscovering her identity after motherhood, because, um, I found this book super relatable. And as we've talked about before, I'm not a mom. Um, and I find a lot of this book. So yes, there is a lot about motherhood and her relationship with her kids and how like being a mom changed her relationship with her husband and with herself. But there's so much of this book that you can take a, like outside of motherhood is super relatable just to be about being like a woman in society and the challenges that we face or like the pressures of marriage and what a perfect marriage is supposed to look like. So I think that even if you're not a mom that there's so much good in this book um and no matter what part of your life you're in right now I think it's relatable I think even if you're not married there's things that you like lots of takeaways from this book or if you're going through a divorce yeah I feel like anytime you had like a, a shift in your life like you could have been someone that was living on your own and now you're married and living where somewhere else and then your husband works full time like any kind of stage in your life you're always going to have had a previous life that maybe looked a little bit differently so you you know you yeah. have thoughts and you have feelings and your life is changing so yeah. yeah i think it's relatable for anybody you don't have to be a mom to read this book for sure yeah and i just think like it's so cool like tova really talks about so she's in her 40s going through this crisis and you know the age isn't necessarily like the big factor there because you know it could happen earlier or it can happen a little bit later but i think it's like just in my the biggest takeaway from this book for me was that like there's so much in our life that we think is out of our control or that we can't change but tova really reminds the reader that there's a lot in our life that is in our control and that we can change and just because your life is going down one path right now does not mean you have to stay on that path by any means. And at any point in your life, like you're welcome and to shift gears and it's going to suck and it might not be easy, 
but it's a lot harder to stay in a life that you feel, feel unfulfilled in. Yeah. And a life that like, she always points out like society's expectations of what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to be. And And, yeah. And so I, yeah, I can relate to that as well, for sure. Um, the crisis, it all kind of started with her getting a mammogram and they had found a lump and Yeah. yeah. So that is kind of like, she talks about that at the very beginning of the book and how that kind of, I think, uh, like propelled her into the crisis. Um, and I found a lot of things that she mentions in the book, like it's important topics and it's all like, she would say it like very briefly, but in my mind I was like, Oh my God. Yes. Like that, those two sentences could be an entire book. Like those two sentences are like such a massive topic that, you know, just from like me going through like giving birth and postpartum recovery mm, and all mm, that stuff. Like mm. I, like, I love some of the topics that she touched on. Um, so yeah, the first one that I highlighted was she says, she talks about how she never, she had a C-section. She had a very complicated, like she almost died, um, super traumatic birth experience. And is that McFly? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought my dogs were going to bark. The doorbell <laughs> rang. Like, what the hell? Like, I can barely oh, hear them. We have, have no packages coming. <laughs> what did I order? And I forgot that I ordered. <laughs> oh, God. If my doorbell rings, like, we're fucked. But okay. So she says she never truly healed from her birth experience, which was very traumatic. And yeah. like, that is such a problem in society overall. It, and she explains that no one treats births as traumatic. Why? And at the same time, it's like, we don't even acknowledge that giving birth can be traumatic, but we also put on this pressure for it to be like the best day of your life. Yeah. And it is so magical and it's such a blessing. And, you know, it's such an amazing experience. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's fucking traumatic. Like sure. you're like pushing out a child. Like I had a probably what would be considered a easy labor and delivery. And it's still like, it's all kind of like a fog. It wasn't like enjoyable. It was like, I was happy that my husband was there. My sister was there. Um, the one kind of traumatic thing was when he came out right before Milo came out, they had to call the NICU up and like, I'm kind of out of it, but I know what's going on. And I understand that the doctor has told the nurses to call the NICU team up and, but I don't know what's going on, but that like was scary. And then like, there's like this line of doctors in the room waiting for Milo to come out. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, Mm -hmm. but like, then it's like, well, here's your baby. Like everything's great. Like you're going to have this magical like experience. And when you take him home, like hashtag blessed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's not. And so it's like, you go through, especially her, like had this traumatic birth experience and then you're just sent home to take care of your child or your children and you're not able to get therapy you're not able to process what happened you're solely focused on taking care of your kids now and you're in like ridiculous physical pain as well well and for Tova like she you know almost died 
Yes. And her, you know, for Tova, I think that her experience is like traumatic, even before the birth of her first daughter, because they were told that they would have a hard time conceiving. So they went through, you know, the struggles of infertility. Then they had their first daughter who was, I think pretty young when she had the twins, right? Like I think her daughter was only two and then she's having twins where she has preeclampsia literally almost dies. Like she talks about in the book, how she felt like that was, she was dying. And I actually, she makes it, she cracks a joke where she's like <laughs> thinking about Mike, how like clueless he is that his wife is probably dying. right now. <laughs> he hasn't even clued in. Um, you know, so she goes through that and then that chapter kind of ends where she's like, and that's not even like the worst of it because you know, that's almost the easy part, like almost dying and recovering is almost is the easy part because now she's going home with twins yeah. and a two-year-old. And like you said, society just expects you to pick it up and move on and, you know, get on with being a mom with virtually no help, right? Mm-hmm. You have to really be vocal to ask for the help that you need. And not all women can do that. Not all women have the support system financially or emotionally or, you know, have anyone else in their life to help them take, take on those responsibilities. And we just are expected to, to do it. It's crazy. Yeah. And I think like all you moms like it are so incredible. Like for me, I'm like, I always wonder, like, sometimes I'm like, this is not shocking to me because so many people in my life tell me this all the time, like how hard it is, how crazy it is, the expectations, the pressure. And so I don't know if people are just more open with me because I don't have kids and they feel like they can tell me like whatever. Cause I'm not going to judge. Cause I really don't know what you're talking about. So I'll, I can take it all. Um, but I'm always thinking like, you know, I'm not putting myself in that position because I couldn't handle it. Like I would yeah. crack, like I can't handle that pressure. So I think everyone who goes through it is like literally incredible because I know, I don't know how you guys do it. Like I literally don't. Yeah. Well, I like, and it's funny because me in my situation, I think the exact same thing, but about other moms, like, mm. okay. Like we're financially like, you know, in a good position, um, Milo is able to go to daycare while I'm able to like do my stuff. Like I, in my mind, I'm like, how do people have two kids? How do people, you know, have single children parent. that aren't able to send them to daycare? How a single parent, I think about single parents probably 10 times a day. And I just said to pre the other day, like Milo got up at three in the morning and I went and got him. And I was able to say like, babe, can you go downstairs, get him some water? And can you go back in his room and set up his crib so that everything is like good when we go to bring him back? And I was like, imagine if I was by myself, what am I going to do? Like lug Milo while he's crying, like so upset downstairs to like get him some water. And like, it's so much easier when you have someone there to help. Like it's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I always talk a lot about like the physical, like, cause I'm big into like pelvic floor stuff. Um, and how, you know, like we give birth and there's nothing really put in place for us to mm-hmm. like get that help. We have to do it all on our own. And some people don't even know you say like a pelvic floor physiotherapist and people are like, what's that? And it's like mm-hmm. shocking. Yeah. Um, but it's also the mental health part of it too. Like there's nothing in place. If you would think if someone had that traumatic of an experience, they would be given resources or set up to like have some kind of mental health, like treatment, Mm -hmm. you know, if somebody gets, 
I don't know how it works. Like, you know, if somebody is like attacked or raped or something like that, like, are they set up with like, if someone else goes through these traumatic situations, are they given help? Like, I'm not sure, but I mean, I'm not sure exactly how the healthcare system works either, but I would say that current state that no, our healthcare system doesn't do the best job at providing those resources really to anybody. Like, I think that we are in a mental health crisis in society. Oh, yeah. People <clears throat> don't have the resources um, that they need. It's not accessible. You know, wait times are really long or yeah. if you go private, it costs a lot of money. So, so no, I think like whether, no matter what crisis people go through right now, I don't think that we have the resources. Yeah available uh, and it does not set people up for success. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Okay, so that that like her birth story and you know, I was happy that she was basically saying like, this is what happened and this is trauma and like, it's okay to not be okay after that. Because I think a lot of, like I, like I was saying, like we feel pressure to think that the day that we give birth is this like amazing, (laughs) like enjoyable experience. It's, 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 and I mean, Hey, it is amazing. Like the fact that you can like 
create a child inside of your body is incredible and it is and it is like wonderful but it doesn't mean that it's not traumatic and that you know it was all like sunshine and rainbows because it's not (laughs) yes but you know Um, um speaking like you know kind of shifting gears a little bit I love how Tova incorporated her blog posts throughout this book yeah when she's talking about her birthing experience so she writes she's writing about it um and she writes a really like it's very easy to read and she brings in a lot of humor which I love but then she'll literally paste in one of her blog posts from that moment in time so I love it so it's not like it's literally because I didn't I haven't read a lot of her blogs especially her her blogs from years ago so I just loved having that glimpse of her you really got the feeling that she was feeling in that moment in time because she pasted in those posts throughout the book. And so I, I just, I really liked that. I don't know if I've ever really read a book. Yeah. The author has done that throughout the book. And I think that she weaves those blog posts in really nicely. Like it really ties in the stories. Yeah. So good way to Agree. Um, something else that I highlighted in the book is when she was talking about kind of doing like exposure therapy with her body. So with regard to like her C-section scar, her boobs, um, and kind of how like we, a lot of people avoid things that they feel shame around, um, which almost kind of like perpetuates the shame and makes it like snowball into being worse and worse. Um, and so that was interesting. And she told a story about her oldest daughter who was almost eight years old, um, coming home from school and talking, telling her mom that the girls at school were talking about being skinny. Um, and then Tova was telling her things like, you know, like looks don't matter. And you know, the things that we all probably tell our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, but then at the same time, I was like, if she was going through these things with herself, it made me think about how a lot of people probably tell their kids these things, but don't model those beliefs. And so then I started thinking about how like Tova is in Europe. Um, but I started thinking about how, and I always think this because I walk around the house not like all the time, but when after Milo has his bath, like pre will be laying with him in our bed and like, you know, getting, brushing his hair and doing whatever. And a lot of the times I'll like go wash my face and I'm getting ready for bed at the same time. So like I walk like from the bathroom to the closet, like naked Mm -hmm. in front of Milo and pre. And I always think to myself, like, I wonder at what point in time, like I'm going to feel uncomfortable to do that in front of Milo. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking about in Europe, how, because I've been there a lot, like for conferences and whatnot. And I specifically, I'll never forget this, but when Hillary and I went to Heidelberg, which is in Germany, small little town, and we were staying at this hotel that had a spa and people were just like buck naked in the saunas, like men, women, like that were our age. Yeah. And Hillary and I were so uncomfortable. And there were literally signs outside the sauna that said like clothing, not allowed. Like I know, yeah. they don't want the wet bathing suits on the wood in the saunas, which yeah, makes well, perfect also, sense. It's also part of the culture though. Like, so for example, I'm a little bit opposite because I grew up with Estonian grandparents. And so yeah, at this 
at camp, when you go in the sauna, you don't wear your bathing suit. And so I've seen my grandmother naked a million <laughs> times growing up. Um, and so the same for us when we were in Estonia, uh, Kevin and I went and same thing, like no bathing suits allowed. Like you can wear your towel, like you're supposed to sit on your towel and you can all, like some people choose to stay wrapped in their towel. Um, but it's also just part of the culture. Like there's, there's no shame around your body, young, old. Yes. You know, which is amazing. It, is. it really, and it's not about sexual. It's just about like, you're in the sauna you know, relaxing you it's for health purposes. Um, and so why would you wear clothing when you're going to go sweat as much as you possibly can? Yeah. Why, why sit in a, in a bathing suit to do that? Our society has such an unhealthy relationship with regard to like the naked body. Like, well, think about a women's locker room. So men's locker rooms often are just open showers, but women's locker rooms are often like stalls because Mm -hmm. we, to shower and literally there's nothing sexual about that you are just going to shower we all have bodies who cares what they look like why you're right that in north america we are we've been made to feel shameful for our bodies because mm-hmm. they're not perfect but technically everybody's body is perfect because it's your body yeah so I, I agree like i thought of this chapter too like not about i don't have a child walking around naked in front of your child so i i don't know i I know what you're saying in terms of like at what age does that become weird yeah. or and maybe maybe never i don't know what the answer is there but i thought about that chapter too in terms of i walk around naked in front of my husband all the time like and i don't care at all like like what i look like like if my hair is gross if i'm done like whatever I don't even think about it, but I have friends who don't do that in front of their husbands. They, their husbands rarely see them naked and because they feel shameful f- for their body. And so, you know, and there goes the doorbell again, uh, in 2020, <laughs> in 2020, I think that we've made some gains. Um, but as we are leading into the new year, all of my Instagram feed right now is about like going on a diet and how, like what your resolutions are going to be for the new year. Um, and so we're still so body focused Mm -hmm. and it's negative ways. It was interesting because I just recorded that podcast episode about body autonomy Yeah, and like, you know, like fostering that in your children and a big thing that she pointed out was how important it is both from like, like a safety standpoint with regard to like sexual abuse and stuff, but how important it is to teach your children the proper names of their genitals. Okay. Um, and she said by not doing that and like calling them little like cutesy things or ignoring them or like, and not being open about it is like, starting the path of being feeling shame about your body very young. Right. And I was like, that is so amazing because even like our generation, like I'm sure a lot of us are uncomfortable. Like I do it now because I know, and I'm somewhat like, I, I understand that. So I will call it a penis. I will call it, you know what I mean? Um, but I'm sure so many parents are so uncomfortable to even say those words in front of their kids. And it's like, that's how it all starts. And then, and then they don't want to grow up. Like they think there's something wrong with it because they're, they're not used to talking about it. And they notice that parents are calling it a different name and, you know, trying to like brush it under the rug and not talk about it. Yeah. And so just like you're saying, just about like 
calling our genitals by like a, a cutesy name rather than the real term. Kids notice that, okay, w- this is weird. Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And just like you were saying earlier, also when we were telling a kid to be proud of their body and you don't, you know, just if the other girls at school say you need to be skinny doesn't mean you have to. But then um, here we are probably going on diets ourselves and our kids see everything that we do. Right. And so mm-hmm. even Tova talks about in the book, like it was a big deal for her to tuck her shirt in one day and go outside because she felt like she, people would think that she was pregnant because she has a, a tummy or, and she says, I have yet to do it, but one day I'll, I'll go braless. And so it, it's so much of our society like screws with us to make us think that we have to be we have to present ourselves in this perfect way all the time, but then that gets brought into our home lives as well. And as much as we want our kids to have be body positive and not think of themselves uh, in any other way, but, but perfect, essentially, it's hard for us to model that because it's so ingrained in us. Yeah. hundred so percent. Um, something else on page 113 that I could relate to was that she talked about not wanting to be angry in front of her kids. Yeah. So, and, and then like, you know, she goes on to say how, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you're just a human and, you know, so I can totally relate to that because I hate even raising my voice. If it's like yelling at the dogs, like, it's almost like I don't want Milo to see me getting angry. But then at the same time, it's like, well, that's part of like being a human, right? Is to have like a range of emotions. And so, yeah, maybe it's not good to be at this like level of anger all the time. But like if you every once in a while, like he sees me get angry, that's not a problem. And it's more so like how you talk to him about it afterwards or how you like work through it yeah. um, and explain those emotions to him. And so that he understands. Yeah. Um, so I like that. I love that too. And I, I think like one of our first podcasts, maybe it was with Glennon's book. I'm not sure, but we, where we were talking about checking in with your emotions. And so it's not bad to get angry. If you feel like you're getting angry constantly and you don't like that, then that maybe is something that you need to work on. Like, why am I, why is my first reaction to things to be angry? And then that's checking in with yourself to figure out like, Am I overreacting here? Am I actually angry? It, what What is triggering this anger? But the fact of getting angry, that in and of itself isn't bad. And so like you mm-hmm. said, like kids need to see all ranges of emotion and then end, or if you do something wrong, then you can explain that to your, you can apologize to your child. And then that is the grown up thing to do. And then they're learning how, oh, I might have an instant reaction to something and it might hurt someone's feelings. And then I can go and apologize. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I related to that for sure. That chapter where she's talking about, um, you know, not love, she loves her kids all the time, but she doesn't always want to play with them or mm-hmm. doesn't love arts and crafts and she gets angry. The beginning of that chapter, I died laughing and like, it might be super relatable for you, but for me, it was like hilarious. So I'm just going to read part of it because I thought it was one of the funniest parts of the book. So it's from an Instagram post that she had in March, 2008. And she says, mommy, I want a banana. Mommy, can you peel my banana? Wash my banana. My banana is yuck. I don't want a banana. I want a banana, but not that banana. I want another banana. Can you cut it? Not like that. Yes, like that. Hold my banana. Don't touch my banana. I want in a bowl. 
not the pink bowl, the yellow one. No, don't cut it. I don't want a bowl. <laughs> I was dying because I was like, oh my God, I'm sure moms go through this all the time. It's insane. Yeah. God. Like they are literally, and I understand it's like them working through some kind of like developmental thing where they're like, they want to be independent and in control. So like Pri and I, a lot of the times, like we're in bed with him, like before his bedtime. And like, we're just looking at each other, like, okay. Like literally this is me with my, with his milk. He's like, milk, milk, milk like that. And so I'm like, okay. So I grab his milk. He's like, no milk. And I'm like, okay, okay. I'll put it down here. Milk, milk, milk. Okay. Okay. Here's, here's your milk. No milk. Like to the point where like, I'll try and just put it down and be like, okay, you do with it what you want. And he'll pick it up and throw it on the ground. And then he'll cry that it's on the ground and like, he wants it. And I'm like, Pri and I are just like, okay, like, let's just let this little episode finish. But yeah, it's crazy. I wonder from like a psychology perspective, like what that's about, because that's every child. Yeah. I wonder, like, it's just, I guess they're just I don't know, testing the waters. They're trying to test you. They're testing themselves, I guess. Just yeah. learn, part of learning. But yeah. I just, anyways, it's so, it's so funny. So it's, funny. Yeah. Um. So on page 64, she says, eventually she was honest with herself and admitted that 98% of the time she's doing things that she doesn't want to do. Mm. Uh, and how being a parent is a very selfless role. Um, she was trying to play a role of being a perfect mom and learned to care for herself first. So I relate to all of this. And a lot of the times I think, you know, and it's like the, I don't enjoy playing with toddlers. Like a lot of parents have a hard time, especially moms admitting that Mm -hmm. and saying it out loud because of the fear of judgment of people thinking like, Oh my God, like she doesn't love her kids or clearly she doesn't want to be a mom. Like she regrets having children or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't remember my mom playing. I know. And that, that has been pointed out. (laughs) That has also been pointed out to me on TikTok, And I think I shared the TikTok of the girl that she like duetted mine or something, but she was like, like my parents never played with us. They were like, go outside. <laughs> I was like, that, that is the world that I grew up in as well. Like go outside, build a fucking cabin. Yeah. And then they would like honk the horn in the car when it was time for me to come back home for dinner. And then exactly was, yeah. like this whole, like, and I feel the pressure. I especially felt it when Milo was behind in his speech and we were in quarantine I felt this pressure to constantly be engaging with him and like, like interacting. And it's like, that's not, even though like rationally, I knew that independent play was important Mm -hmm. and like him learning to play on his own and be like, imagine it imaginative and all that stuff. Like I knew that that was important, but I still had this like, like feeling that I had to constantly be engaging with him. And it's brutal because yeah, I don't enjoy, I enjoy it in like spurts here and there. And I enjoy seeing him happy and seeing him laugh and doing things to make him laugh and be happy. And I do it all the time, but it's not like a lot of the times. Yeah. I would rather be doing something else if I'm just thinking about myself and Mm -hmm. what I want to do. Like, so it's, it's a hard thing to like wrap your head around because it's like, you enjoy it because of what it's giving to your child. 
but you have needs as well for things that you want to do personally. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So it's like a, I totally related to that, um, that part. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like pot stickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner. They have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangler, which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. You think dads have the same pressure? No. Well, at least like pre, pre doesn't, I always say like that I have like mom guilt, but I also have partner guilt Mm -hmm. because pre, like if I'm busy doing something in the kitchen and I see that pre's on his phone while Milo's like playing like with his toy story toys and pre's just kind of like in his own world, like not dealing, like I see that happening and I feel guilt for pre and what he's doing. And then I also get annoyed that I can't do what he's doing and just relax and not worry about Milo playing by himself. Even though you could, even though I could, I can't do it in a relaxing way because I have those thoughts running through my mind and like the guilt feeling. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? It's funny because even in the book too, Tova talks about when she, so when she was really going through the crisis and she needed to take time off, like to figure things out. And, um, I guess she had been doing the daycare and school drop off for years. And so Mike took on that responsibility for a short period of time. And when she went back, 
she was judged by it. Like the moms yeah. were like, oh, nice to see you. Or like, oh, glad to see you're alive. Or they were praising Mike. Like, oh, he's been doing such a great job. And she was like, he's dropping the kids off at school. <laughs> like what? She doesn't get praised when she does that. Right. But moms are kind of like expected to. And, yeah. um, they, and so she was made to feel bad for not doing school drop off when she yeah. also works full time and has, and is a, has the right to not do that. And, and Mike can do it for a little bit of time. So I was just like, you know, I'm not, not in that world. And so I get glimpse of glimpses of it from social media. And when I read books like this and stuff, but I find it shocking that people think that way. Yeah. Um, so much pressure is put on moms. Um, I and- used to always feel awkward telling people that like when Milo was little and still getting up a lot at night, I would feel so awkward telling people that Pre is the one that slept with the monitor. Like he let me go sleep downstairs. And it's like, you know, in Canada, we have, we're lucky. We have a 12 month maternity leave, but in the States, a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. have a leave. And so like they're back to work, you know, during like the prime months when kids are getting up all the time and like going through sleep regressions and stuff. Um, But Pre, like, it's just, who my husband is like can get up and fall back asleep within two seconds I'll be up all night yes so it just us for get up most often and then I would sleep with the monitor if pre had to operate the next day um but yeah it used to feel awkward telling people that because I feel like people looked at me like oh my god what a friggin slob like Mm. her husband is a dog doctor works, you know, but like he was working in his office, like seeing patients, he's his own boss. Like he can, you know what I mean? Like it was, it just made more sense. And he understood how difficult it is to take care of Milo for a full day on your own. Like it was a lot of work and, but yeah, I used to feel awkward and it's like, well, why? Like, and so many people would be like, oh my God, like, I wish my husband would like, you know, like, and I know like there's still a lot of, um, husbands or partners that don't do like half as much as what they should be doing. So, and, and I feel like, you know, there's so much of that because of society, like we women have forever basically been the main, uh, caregivers. Um, and so things are changing. They're just changing slowly and they take more conversations like this and more books like this and more like content that you're creating for people for it to become more normalized that, um, gender doesn't like play a role in terms of who's the primary caregiver or if we should be have equal responsibilities or whatever works for what, who, whatever relationship you're in also. Right. But a huge part of that is also about communication too. So I think that still so many of us suck at communication and the way we present our communication. And so we have a long way to go in terms of creating that balance in relationships where it's like, you also need to be very honest with your partner with what you need and what's working and what isn't working. Because I also think that sometimes, uh, not everyone is open enough with their partner Mm. to ask for the help that they really need. Right. And so we, or to show that they're struggling in some way. And we feel like we need to take it all on and we need to be the, the perfect mom plus look good plus, uh, work full, full time, you know, there's so much pressure. And so we're not always the best at being able to tell those who are here to support us that we're struggling or the areas where we need help. And so I, I, it's part of why I, I like, um, this genre of book 
where it's, it's honest, it's kind of still surface level. So it's light for people to read, but it's just reminding all of us that, you know, we have such a, a big role in our identity, um, and that we need to be able to ask for help and be open and honest with the people that matter the most to us and to ourselves in order to continue to improve the quality of our lives. Right. Mm. Yeah. And so I actually liked that was one of the parts of the book that I did like was that it was kind of surface level. Like she didn't go too deep into the content, which made it relatable to me because I didn't get buried into the weeds of her exact situation. Mm. Um, but so much of this content was just struggles that we all go yeah. through and we generalizable. Need, yeah. And we need everyone to be talking about this so that we don't feel shameful for our bodies or for our relationships or for, I mean, she talks about like her and Mike didn't have a perfect marriage, but they're willing to work on it. And the struggle, like she talks about at one point, like I woke up and I was like, I don't even like the guy that's sleeping in the bed beside me. And it's super honest to talk about that. But so many people, especially in the early years, when you have young kids, your relationship totally takes backseat. Yeah. Right? It's all about the kids, which like, yeah, you have to keep them alive. They, they can't feed them. <laughs> like it, it is a big deal. But just to be honest about that and the struggles, I'm like, I have so many friends that the first few years of their children's lives, like they didn't think their marriage was going to make it. And it was Mm. a huge struggle and it sucked, but it takes, like, I think it's awesome that we can now talk about that because I think 15, 20, definitely 30 years ago, you probably, even with your closest girlfriend, you probably wouldn't talk about these things, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was shameful. And now we realize like, holy shit, everyone is pretty much going through the same things. Yeah, we all are it all. It's hard. It's not easy. And and we what's the point in pretending that it is like, who who does that benefit? Literally nobody. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that was kind of the comment that someone left on Facebook. It was Melissa. And she part of her comment was that she exactly what you said, her advice and like explaining what she went through was more on the surface level. Um, like she gives the example as, you know, take care of yourself first. And she was saying, I understand that I should be taking care of myself first, but tell me like, how did you do it? How did you feel the transformation in your thoughts and like how you got there to be able to do it? So, um, but yeah, maybe that's, you know, a different book that would go that deep. Um, and I mean, I think ultimately it also comes down to like, just being vulnerable and brave, like putting yourself out there and it sucks and it's uncomfortable. It sucks to admit stuff to yourself and then literally to say those words out loud to your partner or to your friend, like to, to, to confide in somebody that you're having these feelings, uh, is hard. It's never, it's never easy. Like when Tova, the conversation she's had with Mike, even in terms of like having an open marriage, which is definitely something that's very specific to Tova and Mike's relationship. I don't think that that's necessarily, and I don't think Tova is trying to say like, Hey, that's for everybody, but just for her to have had that conversation with Mike, I can't even imagine, like, I can't Mm. like, that is so, so brave. Um, and I think that they Tova and Mike must have such a good sense of communication because for her to be able to broach that subject, and now they laugh about it and they were able to work through it together, I think is beautiful. Like that's really so many mm. people, I think that would just end in a big fight and it would be devastating. Right. Um, so I think like knowing how to communicate and continuing to work on communication is a huge part to all of this in terms of like the how to yeah. talk about 
interesting. And it's funny because her comment on Facebook ended with um, that she enjoyed the book and it got her questioning herself and checking in with herself, but also it opened up conversations with her husband, which like, that's the point, right? Um, so a, uh, a quote from the book that I loved was it was, she was talking about like losing herself. Um, and then realizing that when they leave me, meaning her children one day, it'll just be me and Mike again. If I lose myself too much, I'll never be able to find myself again which is like, I love that so much because I don't think people think about that. Like you're so into, and I always thought about this too, like, you know, questioning whether or not, like, you know, I could stay home with Milo, like given our financial situation, that is an option. I don't want to like, Mm -hmm. and I always used to think like when I was questioning that choice, like, what am I going to do when he starts school? Mm -hmm. You know, like he's this age for a very, very temporary amount of time. So if I do nothing, which I can't, like I have a problem, I need to do stuff. Like I'd be miserable, first of all, like absolutely miserable. Um, And also like he wouldn't be getting all the benefits that he gets from going to daycare, Mm -hmm. which we have seen because I had to put him in daycare to finish my PhD. Um, so yeah, it was an easy choice for me, but I used to wonder that like, if you stay home and you dedicate like 100% of your life and yourself to just taking care of your kids, what do you do when they go back to school? I think a lot of people end up finding a new, a a career career than what, maybe what they had before they had kids or they go back to school for the first time or yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, I mean, obviously everyone's different and some people want to put their kids in daycare, but they can't afford it. And Mm -hmm. or other people don't even want to, because they want like in, in some parts of Europe, I think even in Canada, you can have an extended mat leave. I think in a, you, some, your pay just as equalized or something. Um, and some people choose that they want to have longer time home with their kids because like you're saying, they are only that age for a short period of time and yeah. then that phase is over. So it's really like just about one figuring out like what works for you and your family, I guess. Right. Ultimately. Yeah. Um, and then I think, yeah, I think a lot of people then when the kids go to school, they, they do refine themselves and they yeah start a new career or they go back to school or And that's something I always, because like I've gotten flack, obviously for Milo being in daycare um, while I'm at home doing stuff like this. (laughs) But um, I always think that to myself, like there's some women who are working and their kids are in daycare and they wish that they could be home. And then there's people like me who by choice is putting their child in daycare because that's like I need that for myself to feel fulfilled and like I have my own life and I'm doing stuff. Um, so yeah, like there's always someone that's, you know, doing what you're doing, but what wishes they could be doing something yeah. else or yeah. And there's like, some dads that stay home too. And, or some dads yeah. that wish that they could stay home. Like I, that's it, pre, he always says that <laughs> I'm like, okay, you, you be a stay at home dad. We were talking about quarantine the other day because on Monday it was a holiday, but pre had to work mm-hmm. or like the daycare wasn't open. So I was like, Oh my God, I'm having flashbacks to quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And he was like, if we ever go back into a quarantine, he's like, I'll stay home. I'm like, Oh yeah, I would like to see that. I would like to see that. Yeah. And then you go operate on people. Exactly. (laughs) Like, (sighs) okay. Um, so yeah, something else she talked about was missing selfish days, which like, I always say, like, I always think about like my life before I had Milo, like I could do whatever the hell I wanted. Like I lived in like super cute condo, downtown Ottawa, like walked to yoga, got takeout food whenever I wanted. Like, you know, like it was just so like such a massive difference from <laughs> a life after having kids. It's funny though, too, like, cause I don't have kids, but I, I think of those days too, like being in grad school when yeah. it was, like, yeah, your days were a lot fluffier. Um, I don't have kids, but I do work full time. And so I, yeah, I, I still feel like I want those or I need those days where it's just like about me and, you know, or I do a girl's trip or a girl's night or like even just, so Tova talks about both of those things. Like she does, she started with just doing a date, like an afternoon with a girlfriend, just getting away, you know, not talking about kids, like just relaxing then it turned into like a girl's weekend away which I also think is super important I value those a lot one of the things that I think is hilarious is she talks about her trip to Vegas saved her marriage yeah and so it was a weekend and she didn't want to go and it was only like three or four days or something like that and she she almost like she told Mike like go with a friend like I'm not gonna go and then that weekend ended up being super important to them because they completely disconnected they had fun they you know the kids were safe and and being watched by somebody else and they could forget about that and they they got drunk and they had nice dinners and they, they laughed together. And I think they got remarried and, and yeah. by Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> but so I think that these, like, whether it's like a self-care day or a, a date night or, or time with your friends, like, I think all of this is so, so, so important. And I love when people talk about, and it doesn't have to spend, you don't have to spend money. Like you can literally go hang out in a park by, with your partner or by yourself for a day and just completely like decompress and fantasize about whatever you want or, or read a book, you know, but I think that is really important, um, to do. And, and again, easier for some people than others, but yeah, also it comes down to communication. And if you feel like you need this in your life, like talk to somebody and figure out how you can work these this time into the hectic chaos that motherhood is. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Yeah. She talks about that trip. Well, they both do when they were on my podcast. Oh, they, yeah. they, I asked them about it. It was so funny. Um, okay. So the last thing I wanted to mention was, and I love this because this is something that I struggle with as well, because I fucking hate cooking. So sometimes <laughs> oh, I feel, I hate it. Hey, if I could do anything that's, I would just, cook. I would have a restaurant. Oh, I despise it. Okay, I'll come live. I'll be, I'll come be your live-in chef. Not literally like if I won the lottery, that's the first thing I would do is like hire a chef to just make all the healthy stuff because I all, I hate that. Like we eat out a lot and, you know, pre cooks most of our meals, which again, makes me feel like a a slob because like I do so much other stuff, but so then to think don't like the slobs, get over it. You I know like I do so. get over it. Like, <laughs> but I just, I, I look at like how, how it must look to other people. Like my husband comes yeah. home and makes dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> but like, whatever, fuck, like I'm, 
I'm going to go shovel the driveway after we talk right now. And I'm going to like finish all the laundry and bowl. Yeah. Anyways, (laughs) I hate cooking. He enjoys it. And he cares about food. Like, to be honest, I would have boiled eggs for dinner if, if, if I was left to my last night, I didn't want to eat. We made brown rice, salmon and veggies. And I just didn't have an appetite for it. I didn't want to eat it. So I had, what did I have? Granola with milk and a banana. Like that was my dinner. And that's, that's okay. Like when, yeah. you know, um, but anyways, she, in the book, she says when she talked about getting a housekeeper and finally mm. getting help, uh, I loved that. Um, and she has a line in there, which says, who cares who peeled the potatoes? And it's like, <laughs> that is so true. And like, it's so true. Mm-hmm. And the kids definitely don't care. Like no. every time I feel bad because we got McDonald's or something and I look at Milo and he's having like the best time in, in, in his life. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like it's not mm-hmm. really like in two days, this is not even going to matter. So let's just have fun and enjoy it. Like, yeah, no, a hundred percent. If you have the means to have, uh, someone cook for you or a nanny or someone who cleans your house. Like I have a lot of girlfriends who, they work full time, um, and they have kids and they have cleaners and no one finds that shameful. And so then why would having a nanny, like someone in your house to also help, like, like you said, who cares who cleans the toilet, who cares who peels the potatoes. If that gives you joy and allows you to have more time to spend time with your family or on yourself or enjoying life, then good for you. Like go for it. Like But I also love that she's open about it. You know, she's not trying to pretend that like she does it all. Well, obviously that's not her, that's not her MO anyways. (laughs) Yeah. uh, She does not try to pretend or she does not pretend that she has it all figured out. But no, I think it's amazing if that's something that you can work into your, your life to find help in any way, like go for it. Totally. Like we went the daycare route, but we did initially think about having a nanny because we weren't sure that we were going to get into like a good daycare here, but oh my God, we lucked out. Um, but yeah, like ideally again, like my ideal situation would be like that we had a house that had a nanny suite and my mom was the nanny. Uh, Mama Sue. <laughs> yeah. Like I try and convince her to like, to be a living nanny all the time. And she just hasn't, she hasn't gotten there yet. I mean, but would she get off the couch and stop watching TikTok videos? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But yeah, no, like she could cook. She could like clean, tidy up and like, yeah, I love it. That would be perfect. Yeah. All right, Sue. Uh, I'll send this episode to her. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, so final thoughts, anything or did we cover no, pretty I much think we covered pretty much all of it i i think it's a great read i think that everyone should pick it up i think it's yeah. worth the money and and i would give it like a four because which is high for me maybe even four four point five because i would give this as a gift yeah so that, that means a lot like if i like a book uh, enough and i'm willing to gift it to somebody um then it's yeah no I loved it I think everyone should read it I think it's light it's easy you know you can read it slowly like you don't have to read it all at once or whatever Uh, and there's a lot of good takeaways funny I think it was good I think she did a great job yeah awesome all right well that is it for this episode reminder that January's book is how to not hate your husband after kids by Jancy Dunn 
And soon we are going to announce what February's book, February's, February's book is. Library? <laughs> what, yeah, February's oh book is. Uh, we haven't for sure decided yet, but after I press stop on record, maybe we will chat about that. Mm-hmm. So thanks so much for listening and um, catch you Go naked time. in the sauna. Yes, go naked in the sauna. Okay. Goodbye. Bye.